VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and we thank you for joining us on this overcast Monday morning. In the studio with us, brightening everything up, it's James Gearbrandt. And down the line from a faraway island they call Ireland, it's Alan Smith. Later on, we'll be discussing what's going on at the biggest club in the world, but we start with another big week in the Champions League. Last season's runners-up hosts the champions of Germany at Anfield on Tuesday. It's Liverpool. Of whom is the biggest yeah, the I was going to say, Germany, yeah. but we might be upsetting Liverpool fans and Bayern Munich fans. They both won Bayern. loads of Champions League titles in European Cups. <laughs> Indeed. Bayern have won the last six Bundesliga titles, but it's been six years since they won the Champions League. It is at Anfield. Who do you make favourites, Gab? I make uh, Bayern favourites for... For several reasons. One, first and foremost, very, very basic. Virgil van Dijk is suspended. Joe Gomez is injured. Dejan Lovren has some sort of hamstring issue. He hasn't played since January 7th. He didn't go on the warm weather training. I can't imagine you would necessarily risk him unless he's had some miraculous recovery. So we may be treated to Fabinho and Matip at center back. And I think between them, they've played center back maybe 12 times in the past year. Uh, so I, I think that's a big factor. I think the other thing is psychologically, it's not as if Klopp's going to tell them, guys, you know, let's not try hard. Let's just screw this. Let's just focus on the league. But everybody's aware of what's next. Everybody's aware there's a huge game coming up at Old Trafford. And then your next away game after that is the Merseyside Derby. Everybody's aware that if you get through those two unscathed, your chances of winning the Premier League go up exponentially. Everybody's aware of the fact that uh, it's been 29 years, and since then, of course, they've won Champions League finals. I think, I'm not saying he's going to prioritize, but I think psychologically, you definitely get that vibe. Uh, Bayern are no great shakes, but equally, this is really important to them because they likely won't win the Bundesliga this year. I tend to agree with Gab, and I think maybe go a little bit stronger and say they should prioritize um, the Premier League. Obviously, people are kind of looking at Bayern, obviously haven't had the best of seasons, still two points off, off Dortmund, and Dortmund have a game in hand. Um, so in that regard, you'd, you'd kind of think that, oh, you know, it's quite, quite an evenly balanced thing, but just like focusing on Liverpool's defensive issues again, you know, we've been saying all season that Van Dijk has been, by some distance, their best player. He's kind of, you know, almost single-handedly transformed how, how Klopp's team play. Um, and without him, 
you kind of look at Matip and Fabinho in, in particular coming up against Lewandowski, and you kind of you, you would sort of sort sort of worry for them. Um, I actually think the Liverpool obviously having the past weekend off may have helped them sort of mentally in terms of just refreshing them. I don't think the break, you know, in terms of physically, you know, would have been a, a big boost to them. But I think mentally, because they looked quite jaded in those draws against um, against Leicester and West Ham, despite obviously signing off before the break with um, with a win against Bournemouth, they you know they just looked like they needed a little bit of a break to kind of be refreshed and come back into a kind of just a, a fresh mind before before this run of games. Um, it's kind of hard to see Matip and Fabinho sort of dealing with Lewandowski if Lewandowski kind of turns up in you know his best best run of form. So I actually think that you know would make Bayern favourites as well. James, you met a man who recently made his 100th appearance for Bayern in the Bundesliga. That was the right-back Joshua Kimmich. What did you make of him? Yeah, well, Kimmich is obviously, uh, he's a really key player for Bayern and to the extent that he has not even missed a single minute in the Bundesliga this season. He's an unbelievably durable player. Um, He's also somewhat versatile, but yes, you're right, he's been playing right back. Um, He can also play in the defensive midfield. Um, I uh, yeah, I went went out to Munich um, at the start of last week to interview uh, him, and I actually really enjoyed it. I think the first thing about him is that a lot of the time when you when you meet footballers, particularly at you know the really kind of elite level that that he is at, it can be quite guarded and sort of quite wary of you know talking about sudden things and sort of a bit worried oh you know you're going to spin this but I found what I found really refreshing he's he's really kind of really open he talked really openly about Germany's meltdown at the World Cup and you know sort of said things that you know you might not expect a lot of people say well you know it's all over and you know we've got to move on and you know he was like you know yeah it still really still really hurts me you know, to think that, you know, I've lost one of my chances to win the World Cup. He talked quite openly about, you know, the team spirit in the in the squad was was wrong. And, you know, when I threw in one of those curveball questions, uh, I asked, you know, do you think Jurgen Klopp would be a good Germany manager of the future? I think a lot of players would sort of have said, oh, no, well, you know, you know, Joachim Löw is the, you know, he's the coach now and that's what we're concentrating on. And he, he was quite open. He said, yeah, I think I think Klopp would be a great Germany manager of the future. Why not? And I think the, the other thing that I found really interesting is that I think there's, talking of Klopp, I think there's this kind of interesting tension between our sort of old preconceptions of what sort of German football is, particularly with regards to the national team and Bayern of being sort of very kind of, very controlled, very clinical, very sort of disciplined. disciplined. And obviously there's the kind of vision that Klopp represents, a, you know, a team that can be sort of very kind of frenetic and, and, and you know, play with a lot of emotion and actually what was really interesting I, I thought is that Kimmich maybe surprisingly to me said actually you know I consider myself a very emotional player it's very important for me to you know play with my emotions and and sort of you know which was maybe not what I expected to hear so yeah I mean it was it was really interesting to meet him. I think I mean that's, that's a great point James makes you know how I feel about stereotypes and, and football and I think Germany moved out of that phase a long, long time ago. You know, you can read Honigstein's book and, and whatever to explain how they did. And obviously people always maintain some level of national characteristics and stuff, but those things evolve as well. And, you know, Kimmich in particular, when you look back how old he was, and he would have really been in his formative years as a young footballer, when Jurgen Klopp was, was winning the Bundesliga with Borussia Dortmund the first time around, that's going to leave an impression. 
beyond that, the, the, the sort of transfer, transformation that's taking place and the types of players that, that, that German football produces, that's been ongoing, and I think he represents that. But the one thing which I'm really grateful of, which you know, I, I'm glad that you asked them, is what they've kept is the ability of footballers acting like grown-ups when they speak and the media treating them like grown-ups. You know, that question about, you know, Jurgen Klopp one day, you know, if there were a good English manager, um, which right now, you know, maybe there isn't, or at least not at a big club, you know, if you were to throw that question to, I don't know, Raheem Sterling, or like if you were to ask Raheem Sterling, oh, do you think Pep Guardiola could manage England one day? If you were to answer that question honestly, he'd answer it the way, the way Gearbrand did. Oh, no, we're happy with Southgate. <laughs> Nothing to see here. No, of course not. Well, no, you know, and, and people take it for what it is. You know, Kimmich is an adult. And he says, yeah, he's a very good manager. One day, maybe, who knows? Because you don't necessarily have that combination, I think, of... I mean, they have tabloids over there, too. But they don't... You don't have a narrative that's dominated by ex-players who really only read, you know, those papers where every word is five letters long and where the same three tropes get repeated over and over and over again. And that shapes the national debate. It's like, well, look, Sterling's unhappy. He wants Pep to manage England and, you know, Continuing that analogy. So I, I think I always find it really refreshing when you talk to these people. It's not like they're all intelligent and cultured. Some of them are. Some of them are complete dopes. But they generally have an honesty and they expect you to treat their answers with honesty, which is why in your piece today, the headline isn't Klopp, please come and manage Germany and save us from, from uh, Yogi Love." Although you were tempted, right? Yes. I mean, were the headlines in my hands, obviously, yeah. that, would have been. Yeah, well, that would have been it. Yes. <laughs> so it's a fascinating interview with, with Kimmich, but he's going to have a big job on his hands, hasn't he, on Tuesday in terms of Liverpool's left-hand side of Mane and, and Robertson, Allen. Yeah, he is. Um, I, I was kind of thinking a couple of weeks back, I was trying to figure out like, who are the early front runners for um, Player of the Year. And I was actually after seeing Spurs and Son had been really good again. I was thinking, there aren't actually too many... Um, attacking players that you'd sort of you'd consider in the list at the minute. Obviously, we're only uh, in February, or whatever. And I was kind of thinking Van Dijk obviously was a was a clear nominee for from Liverpool. But I was also thinking Trent Alexander Arnold at right back and Robertson at left back. Um, I think Robertson has, personally speaking, been alongside Van Dijk Liverpool's best player because like I mentioned a, a few minutes ago that the, you know the style has obviously evolved and they're not so kind of free flowing in attack and it's very much kind of a a lot more disciplined, a lot more patient, and so much of that is down to Alexander Arnold and and Robertson as well. Um, it, it's amazing as well when you kind of you think of. Um, I know a lot of people in Scotland are quite frustrated in that they've got several sort of players capable of playing right back and left back in such a dearth of, dearth of options elsewhere in the team, and they're sort of frustrated because they feel like you know. Robertson is kind of this this amazing star player who you know the best they've they've seen in, in a generation. I think his growth has been one of the standouts for Liverpool this season. In terms of Mane, um, I don't actually feel like he's had that great a season. Certainly in comparison to last year, and you know a lot of that is probably down to um, the style of play changing slightly, and he doesn't have as many opportunities to, to sort of to break forward into space and he can't u- utilise his pace as much. But he has been not so much a disappointment, but sort of not as thrilling as he was 12 months ago. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. 
The second Champions League tie of the week, pitting England versus Germany, sees Manchester City travel to Gelsenkirchen to take on Schalke. Domenico Tedesco's team finished second in the Bundesliga last season, but they're a long way off that now, Gab. Uh, yeah, they're 14th. They've basically stunk it up. Again, part of it is they lost some big players over the summer. Part of it is what they were doing last year really isn't working as well. Tedesco is part of this sort of German obsession they have with playing very, very young managers, many of whom have never played professionally. It's kind of like the opposite of this country, you know, where having been a good player is often a big prerequisite. Here they just go and hand the keys to the team to to youngsters. Um, Tedesco's funny because he's he's German of Italian extraction. He was born in, in Italy. Um, but his name actually means German in Italian, which I always thought was, was kind of... <laughs> Was was kind of funny. This was a year people expected him to kind of build on it and maybe maybe say like, all right, if you can repeat this, you know, you you lost Goretzka over the summer, of course, joined Bayern. If you could repeat this this year with this group of players, then we know that you are part of the elite and you know you'll be in the on, on the Nagelsmann route to glory. Uh, but it really, really hasn't it really hasn't happened for him. And I think they're four points clear of the of the relegation. Where in Germany, you know, you have a one game playoff. I wouldn't get too smug about that, um, and I still think staying up really must be more of a, of a priority for Schalke right now. So, Alan, was this the dream draw for Pep Guardiola? Um, I think it's the easiest draw. Um, <laughs> you, I can kind of imagine Guardiola giving his, uh, his pre-match press conference tomorrow, and sort of as he does before every game when they're when they're heavy favourites, sort of preaching that it'll be difficult and sort of outlining two or three of the opponent's um, strengths, like um, before before the Newport game, for instance. Because it's two-legged, there's no way you can kind of see Schalke shocking City. You can kind of think that maybe you know they'll pull out a freak result perhaps this week because they've got they've got home advantage. But over two legs, there's no way you can see sort of a, a shock like that developing. And I think because of the depth of the squad, um, obviously the, the the run of games, the aforementioned League Cup final on Sunday as well, that you know Guardiola could easily shuffle the pack again, not rest a couple of players, but you know make quite a number of changes and I can still see City sort of you know, easing their way to victory. It could of course be a homecoming for Leroy Sane, former Schalke player, but while he did play at Newport, he hasn't really been featuring that much in the Premier League. How would you expect City to line up, James? Yeah, Sane is an interesting case because to me, I don't think he's played I certainly don't think he's played badly in the Premier League this season. I just think he's been pretty great. I mean, he's got, I think, eight goals and nine assists in something like 1400 minutes of football in the Premier League which is pretty great um, and it, it's funny because he, he, you're right he sort of hasn't he's been in and out of the team over the last month or so but that actually followed a very good period for him where he scored against Liverpool and then I think had a goal and an assist against Huddersfield so it's strange I, I wonder if I mean A obviously it, you know it's the fact that as we've spoken about City have a great squad and they have a lot of really good depth options um, and you know, B. I just wonder if it's a kind of if it's a man management thing. If, if Guardiola just thinks that Sane is the type of player who who needs a bit of bit of the stick as well as the the carrot, so to speak. Um, predicting Pep lineups is a notoriously difficult <laughs> game. Um, and I think obviously that the fact that the Premier League title race, you know, uh, we're looking at a point sort of a month ago where Liverpool could have been seven points clear. Now, obviously, they're, they're level on points. City are in a completely live title race. So I don't think there's any kind of, you know, I think there's any question of, you know, them sort of prioritising the Champions League at this stage. So I think for that reason and, and also the fact that 
you know, as we've said, although Pep will say all the right things about Schalke, as he should, given that they were beaten by Lyon in the group stages, this, you know, this is, you know, probably as good an opportunity as you'll get in the knockout stages of the Champions League, maybe to rest a couple of frontline players. When we talk about sort of fixture congestion and, and, and how difficult it is to compete on multiple fronts, a lot of times we look at it just from the physical perspective and players getting tired and not recovering from injuries or whatever. But I think there's also a whole mental side to it uh, as well. We're taping this Monday morning. Chelsea haven't played Manchester United yet. But there's a lot of things that can happen. The, the winner of that game could be drawn against Manchester City in the FA Cup. And then you've got circus and talk and whatever. If, you know, imagine, imagine it's United or, or even if it's, if it's Chelsea and they have to play them for the 10 millionth time this season. They have the League Cup coming up and you figure, well, it's easy because they won 6 nil. Yeah, but it's a one-off game at Wembley and what happens if it doesn't work out? What happens if he gets drawn to play Barcelona or, or Bayern Munich in the next round of the Champions League and he comes up against his pass? All these things are grading, are draining on players. And for that reason, I would still cautiously give the edge to to Liverpool. And I also think, and he's not going to come out and say it, obviously, because he's going to say what every coach says, that, well, I want to win every everything. But I think if he had to choose, he would choose the Champions League because it really would be a feat. You know, it would move him up a rung in the list of uh, Champions League winning managers. Um, he could show that he could win it without Lionel Messi as well, which... You know, some of us doesn't have many critics, but those who still criticize him say, well, it's easy. You've got messy, you know. So all these things put together, um, I think in the back of his mind, he would definitely prioritize the Champions League. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It has been a roller coaster season for Real Madrid. Winners of the last three Champions League titles, but they are nine points off top spots in the Liga after defeat at home to Girona on Sunday. The game also saw the 25th red card of Sergio Ramos's career. James, when we. Sorry, look- that, sorry that's for club alone. Just He's also got, I think he has at least two for Spain too. <laughs> okay, then. So we could say 27th 
red card of his career. James, when we look to the end of Ramos's playing career, how is he going to be best remembered for all of these red cards? I mean, it's, it, it is kind of remarkable, isn't it? Just how kind of, I mean, he's 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 absolutely out on his own in, in terms of historical um, red cards. I mean, no, I think when we when Ramos finishes his career, I think he's, although, you know, for some he's, he's quite a polarising figure. I don't think, you know, I think ultimately Ramos will be remembered as as a great player I think he'll be remembered as as a winner you know I think he I think I'm right in saying he is in all three of the Spain squads that won major tournaments I think he played in Euro 2008 as a as a young player yeah when he played right sure back is, yeah. Um, so yeah I mean to, to be you know a mainstay of that kind of historic era of Spanish success and obviously what Real Madrid have accomplished in the Champions League recently also unprecedented I think Ramos will get his due when you know he retires and, and the kind of historical assessment is made. But yeah, it's kind of a weird anomaly of his career that he's so kind of he's so prone to red cards. Let's speak about Santiago Solari then, the manager for Real Madrid. You recently praised him, Gab, with his attempts to bring in the new guard and the younger players. Does that make success then more difficult this season? Well, he came in as an interim boss, and they gave him. A longer deal because they had to, but I think in their minds he's still an interim guy. Um, what's funny is this defeat they they lost to Girona at home. For those who don't know, Girona is the it's a team that's half owned by Manchester City uh, and the other half by Pep Guardiola's uh, brother. Funnily enough, um, this was a team that they'd lost six in a row. They were plummeting down the table, so nobody really expected this. I thought they played really well in the first half. Could have could have scored two or three maybe. And then they simply imploded in the second half. And But part of it is a lot of those changes that he made, he kind of brought the guys back. He brought Marcelo back, who who was terrible again. Um, he brought Asensio back. There's an argument to be made when the team's on the mend, don't mess with it too much. They do have some big games coming up, but then again, you know they, they don't have a midweek tie this week. So this could have been a game where you, know, you might have not taken the Girona for granted. Instead, that was really the vibe that you got, especially after halftime, like, who are these Muppets? You know, we got this, no problem, we're Real Madrid, and, and they paid a really hefty price for it. It's kind of an interesting feature of this season's Champions League that the three kind of real sort of super heavyweight teams of, of European football, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Bayern Munich, are, are all to kind Manchester of... Manchester City thanks you, by the way. Well, we'll get on to Manchester City, yeah. but, I mean, those three teams have really been, over the past five seasons, have been the dominant mm. teams in European football. And they're all, to a greater or lesser extent, in in transition this season. You would say, and that and they've not been good. Well, I mean, Barcelona are top that, of the league. But they've too. not been good. They've been uh, incredibly messy dependent. Not sure the last time that those three teams were so kind of so weak or so vulnerable in in the Champions. Well, who who knows what happened in Champions League? But I'm not sure the last time you had a Champions League tournament where those three teams were so in in such a phase of transition and I think that increases the emphasis on on teams like Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain who have been the pretenders really up until now I think there's a real kind of emphasis on them to to you know maybe go and win it this year that's a really good point you know you could see this if you take those three as sort of the elites who've consistently done well in the Champions League the next rung down the three pretenders who probably more than most have been generally consistently good all season are Manchester City, Paris Saint-Germain and Juventus. So this could be the year where you might see a bit of a changing of the guard, especially if you know Liverpool do go out to, to Bayern now for the reasons that, that we underscored earlier. 
Um, and who knows, maybe that's, that's the breath of fresh air after so much Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern. Talking more about Real Madrid, Thibaut Courtois spoke to Belgian media this weekend and said that Gareth Bale spends most of his time playing golf rather than hanging out with Real players, leading to him being labelled the golfer. Alan, Bale has a contract until 2022 in Spain. Is there any way out for him, do you think? I think there's always a way out. Um, I think the big issue is his age, where he turns 30, I believe, in the in the summer. And obviously a lot of clubs kind of now look at sort of that age as being you know, the point where they'll stop paying paying big transfer fees. And obviously, Bell now demands huge wages as well. So I think that's uh, the sort of the, the big difficulty in terms of him finding a new club come the end of the season. But, you know, if, if he really wants to go and if the club are happy to let him go, then there's, there's no reason why... Um, I shouldn't be able to get out. Um, in terms of the golfer thing, it's been that's been around for a while, I think, because I remember reading a piece last season um, in one of the Spanish newspapers where they were just basically having a go at Bell because in the back garden of his home he has created a replica of the 17th hole at Saulgrave, which is um, you know that sort of iconic hole with the uh, the green is surrounded by water. So he's he sort of recreated a replica of that in his back garden um, and because of that there was uh, you know certain Spanish papers were um, having a go at him for it and you know we'll bla- they're sort of blaming his love of golf as the cause for his uh, his back injuries in the, in the past few seasons um, also noticeable that you know other players have kind of suggested that his um, his failure to learn Spanish in the in the five seasons that he's been there sort of you know distanced him from from the team as well. But then you kind of think of take Sergio Aguero, who's been you know in England for longer than five years, um, still doesn't really speak English, and he's had no sort of issues in terms of um, betting in with his with the Man City squad um, and obviously going on to to great success. I do feel like Bale is sort of underappreciated. The player who's won four Champions League. Titles. So um, is everybody else but, around Madrid? Yeah, no, no the but, problem. <laughs> but yeah, well, also the overhead kick against Liverpool, one of the uh, one of the best goals I yeah. can remember seeing in several years. You know, these, you know, those sort of moments at pretty much any other club would make Bale a legend. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's because of the unique sort of that, that unique atmosphere at Real, where to become a legend there, you need to do far more than that. Um, but I do feel like he is he is underappreciated. Alan made a great point about his wages, and I know people get confused, net and gross, and they, but he makes £365,000 a week um, after tax, so that is comfortably north of £600,000 a week in gross terms, which is how we speak of wages here, which means that he's earning you know, nearly twice as much as the highest paid player in the Premier League. So for any club to sign him, they would be on the hook for that until at least 2022. And he said that he wants to stay at Real Madrid. That's fine. If you want to stay at Real Madrid, that's fine. And then put up with people making fun of your Spanish. And he does speak, he does speak some Spanish. It's just extremely, you know, elementary and, and rudimentary. Probably better Spanish than, than Aguero's English, to be fair. Uh, but then again, Aguero has many more Spanish-speaking teammates than Bale has English-speaking teammates, to be fair, yeah. too. You know, I mean, other than chatting to Tony Kroos and Thibaut Courtois, I don't know who else he's going to talk to. So it's a difficult one. I, I think part of the reason he hasn't been hailed as a legend to the degree that his achievements might warrant, uh, and he scored some big goals in big games, is that he played, he played on a team with Sergio Ramos, who scored just as many big goals in big games. 
And also, of course, that Cristiano Ronaldo fell until last year. Now Cristiano was gone. The idea was, oh, Bale will take over. And and that that hasn't happened. We've got time to, to speak about Gordon Banks. And Gab, I know you were particularly struck by the coverage that the World Cup winning goalkeeper received after he sadly passed away last week. Yeah, we had two really good pieces and, you know, through the website and through the app, you can go back and search for them. It's worth it by uh, by Henry Winter and Ollie Kay. I was just struck by how, what a different era it was in the sense that, you know, he played virtually his entire top flight career for Leicester and for Stoke, um, which is part of the reason why he didn't win very much. He won two League Cups. You know, I'm talking at club level. That's why whenever... You know, people talk about footballers want to win things and show us your medals, then refer them to Gordon Banks. You know, same thing when people say, well, Harry Kane needs to leave Spurs to go win things. Does he? It's pretty remarkable. It's just remarkable the fact that obviously his career was cut short by, I mean, he was 36 at the time, I think, by that, that car accident he suffered. And he moves away from the game for three years. And then he comes back and goes and plays in the old North American Soccer League and gets voted goalkeeper of the year. Just a phenomenal a phenomenal character and, and, yeah, a really important player, obviously, in the history of English football. Well, speaking of England and perhaps looking to the future, Declan Rice has declared for the three Lions, despite having three friendly caps for the Republic of Ireland and playing for them at uh, youth level. Alan, what's your thoughts on that? Um, I think the reaction from quite a number of Irish supporters um, left a lot to be desired. Um, I know there's been quite a lot of sort of Social media abuse directed at Rice for, for changing. I mean, it, it's a you know, it's a complex issue. He's just turned twenty. He's you know had this incredibly quick rise. And even reading reading back over the statement, you you sort of get the sense that he's been surprised by how quickly he's he's risen up the ranks and how quickly he's become such an important fixture to West Ham. And I think you know some cynical Irish fans are sort of suggesting that oh he was only playing for us because he didn't realize that he would be able to make it for England uh, which you know is a, a train of thought I don't think Rice would ever um, come to come to admit that um, he he's quite young you need to take sort of youth into consideration here where he made a decision as basically a teenager that he would he, he would play for Ireland um, because he couldn't decide to play for England as a teenager because England weren't hadn't shown, hadn't, no they hadn't shown interest exactly. in but then you know at the same time he's born and raised in London um, he's well within his rights to you know feel pride at his sort of his Irish background while being English um, you know nationality is a is a complex thing and I think a lot of sort of football fans and in this case Irish football fans feel like you know you're a traitor for, for changing or whatever where it's it's not quite that simple um, he can feel both English and Irish it's you know it's <laughs> you know that, that, that's that's not a crime and the fact that I think England have done quite well, had a successful World Cup, did well at the Nations League. Um, obviously, his position has been one of the weak links in, in Southgate's team. Um, and I think that's what's swayed him towards England. Um, obviously, being overlooked by youth teams has had had an effect in the past, and that's why he ended up playing for Ireland. But to, to sort of suggest that you know he was lying and saying he, he never cared about Ireland, he was just playing for them just because... England, you know, 
didn't realise who he was when he was 16 or 17 um, is wrong because, you know, he can play for England, but he can also still care about his Irish background and he can still feel pride in that. Why is he cares for England more? Yeah, but, you know, but the issue is people saying that he didn't care about Ireland and he was just using them because that was, he felt it was his only route into playing international football. But, you know... he can Is it a bit like when both. you were Alan, when you were a kid in, in Ireland, and yeah. and you had a girlfriend, and then somebody hotter and nicer came along, and you upgraded? Um, no, never experienced that personally. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I, I like. I, I mean, it used to be that if you played an official match, yeah. even at youth level, then you couldn't change anymore, right? And then they they, they relaxed the rule; they changed it. At youth level, you can do what you like, and at international level, as long as it's just a friendly match, Diego Costa playing twice for Brazil, for example, then, you know, as long as you fulfill these other requirements in terms of passports and whatever, which are much stricter than back in the imaginary days of Jackie Charlton, of course, you can go and and you can play for your country. This rule, incidentally, was generally designed so that, I would say it was designed with France in mind, but it really was. So... All those French footballers who were capped at a young age maybe had like one cap and then they wanted to go play for, for Algeria or whatever because they were, they were never getting called up again. They, you know, those countries are saying, hey, what's the deal? So-and-so is Algerian. His parents are Algerian. He holidays here, but you can't play here because he was capped for France 10 years ago. That's not fair. It wasn't really designed for the opposite effect. It wasn't really designed for countries in England's situation to go and pick and choose, you know, people who might have, might also be eligible for Ireland or Scotland or Wales or whatever and then bring them back in. Yeah. But it is, a, it is a fact of life. The final thing to say about, the, about Rice is that, you know, this is quite a big win for, for Gareth Southgate and for England moving forward because central midfield and particularly defensive central midfield is, is a position where England are quite thin, uh, particularly in terms of young players coming through. I think... Harry Winks has been having an excellent season, in my opinion, um, and I think he's started to show a little bit more capability on the defensive side, but he's not what you would call sort of an out-and-out defensive midfielder, in my opinion. Obviously, England have Eric Dyer, who I think is fine in that position. I think he's a perfectly competent defensive midfielder, but I think, you know, A, he's a player kind of with a ceiling, um, and, and B, obviously, it's, you know... I think it's really good for for Southgate and England moving forward to have you know uh, a, a good young option in in that position. You know, I certainly don't think Rice is. Let's not get carried away about his ability. I think he's you know a promising good young player rather than you know one who's been having an absolutely outstanding season. But I think you know, it's um, it's definitely a positive development for England. It's time now for our weekly predictions game, and going into this weekend, Gab, I led. 13-7 this yes, season. you haven't reminded me enough times. No, though. no, it's always nice to say 13-7. And of course, you know I mean business, don't you? So I predicted the exact scoreline, correct scoreline, I should say, of Brighton 2, Derby 1. And then I went and predicted a 4-1 win at Newport for Manchester City. I know, of course, you went for a Phil Foden hat-trick and we agreed that we would give you a bonus point for that. But it was just a brace. For yeah, the, the problem young with Phil Foden star. is he's he's too unselfish. Right, you could have easily yes. had a hat trick. Yes, 
you're quite right. And I was, I was worried. I'm not going to lie. I was worried. Um, but as you say, he, he's unselfish and he just got the two. Uh, I also correctly predicted a Wolves win at Bristol City. Yeah, because you knew that VAR wouldn't give that penalty, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. You knew that ahead yeah. of, this is it. Yeah. You, you can't have VAR in some games and not in others. It's not fair. I agree with you on that. But as it is, it was Wolves that won at Ashton Gate. And while neither of us predicted that Solihull would draw at home to Barnet in the National League, I did say that I thought Nathan Blissett would score, which he did. And so it's I, all looking really good for me. True, but then I did manage to predict an AC Milan <laughs> win at Atalanta, and I predicted the correct scoreline. Uh, and no. for that reason, plus the points I get for the draw that should have been for Bristol City <laughs> and the Foden hat-trick, which really should have been, it's now 13-8. to eight. <laughs> It definitely isn't. I've extended my lead. It's 14-7 to me. All right, time is running out here. I've had enough of predictions, so maybe let's move on to some quick hits. Natalie, mm. one for you. And this is where I take issue with Charlie, our producer, <laughs> who I suspect wrote this question, which I find rather offensive. Oh. Why should I care about Timo Puki beyond the fact that he has a fun-sounding name? Well, I do care about him because, of course, he's a Finland international. He's been capped a bazillion times. He played for Bromby for many years in, in European football. And before that, i um, pretty sure he was in Germany. Might have played somewhere else, too. So I am quite familiar with this okay. gentleman. But I'm assuming you're going to regale me now with some sort of championshipy, lower leaguey type thing, because I think that's pretty much his level, no? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, he's doing very well, it has to be said. He is the top scorer in England's top four divisions. 23 league goals he has uh, scored so far. That's just because Harry Kane's injured. You know that, yeah? Of course. Of course, you're absolutely right. Uh, as you've pointed out, he is a Finland international. He scored for the sixth game in a row at Bolton on Saturday. It was a, one of his goals, in particular, a wonderful counter-attacking passing move uh, that led to that to that goal. His form certainly is surprising to Celtic fans. You missed the fact that he played in Scotland, but that might be because he didn't do very well in Scotland. He struggled five years ago after a move from Schalke. So you're right about Bundesliga. Scoring just seven times in his one and only season. He later actually admitted, I thought Scottish football would be easier than German football. Instead, it's harder? Well, it just, When you're playing for Celtic? Perhaps. He just yeah, he didn't really adapt very well uh, to life in Scotland, but certainly is adapting very well to life in the Championship. At 28 years old, and who knows, the way that he's going, no doubt we'll be seeing him scoring in the Premier League next season for Norwich. Or maybe getting signed by Fulham for thirty million to lead their <laughs> to lead their charge. To charge back to the Premier League. Okay, Crystal Palace win at Doncaster two 0 Perhaps no surprise there, but James, you were there. Let's talk about Andros Townsend. Should we be paying more attention to him, or with the wealth of young talent at Gareth Southgate's disposal, has his time come and gone? Yeah, I think Townsend played played really well yesterday. He got an assist for the second goal, so header back across goal for for Max Meyer. Uh, probably should have had another one. Uh, really nice through ball to Batshuayi, which he missed. Um, I think in general Townsend is having a good season. I think he's a player who, you know, and I don't mean this insultingly, is kind of is at is at his right level. You know, playing for a good mid-table Premier League team, and I think Palace are a, are a good team. Um, despite my, maybe what their league position might suggest. For me, I think England have a lot of good young options in the wide positions. Obviously, Jaden Sancho, and obviously then you've got the likes of uh, Reese Nelson. Morgan Gibbs-White. 
Damari Gray. For me, I personally prefer to see Gareth Southgate develop some of those young players, but that's not really a knock on Townsend. I think, you know, he's he's a good player. He actually served England pretty well when he when he played for England. For me, I think his time has has come and gone, at least until we see him maybe, you know, hit a, another level. Swansea overcome Brentford. Sorry, Natalie. Mm. But somebody named Daniel James steals the headlines with a coast-to-coast run that leaves half the Brentford defense in its wake. It may just be that the BBC tweeted out the uh, the video of this and there was no top-flight football in this country, so we kind of all got excited. Um, but, Alan, is this one of the better goals you've seen this season or are Brentford's defense really kind of slow and sluggish um, it's not even the best goal mentioned in the quick hits um, I thought that Norwich goal that Natalie mentioned a couple of minutes ago um, was far better because I think there were about a dozen but that wasn't in the FA Cup so I wouldn't know about it would he would I <laughs> well yeah stop it um, but you know that, that goal had sort of I think it was about a dozen passes from, from the goalkeeper up the other end really quickly, slick one-touch moves. And I think when you're comparing sort of these sort of solo goals where it's about a player's just raw pace and his ability to speed past defenders in comparison to sort of a a team move that requires a lot more sort of to go right, um, I'll always go for the the team goal. But, you know, that's not to take away from James, who, I mean, the way way he sped forward was incredible. Um, I'm not sure, I'm sure Natalie will know if those... um, Brentford defenders are particularly quick or not, um, but you, you very rarely see a, a player who can, you know, on the break will take a very big, heavy first touch and just have the belief that he can speed past everyone and for it to for it to actually come off. And um, it's quite a ni- quite a nice finish as well. I think James is interesting because obviously he was about to join Leeds United on on deadline day um, last month and had a medical. Apparently had. Conducted all his interviews with the with the lead in house media for 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 video to go to go up online and social media whatever and then the very last minute Swansea said no we we don't want the deal to go through and the, the deal I believe was for something like something ridiculous like 1.5 million um, which would have meant um, he would have been loaned to Leeds for the rest of the season and then the move would have become permanent in the summer but for whatever reason Swansea decided that you know actually we want to keep him and obviously he's worth. You know, a young player with this kind of potential and, and raw pace um, is worth a lot more than the fee Leeds were, were about to pay for him. Gab, one for you. Now, I take offence at the way this question has been written because I do care. I always care. Charlie wrote this. Charlie is shaking his head. I know. Because you wrote this one, Gab. He's, he's, he's all about denying. Who is, for those that don't care, <laughs> who is Christoph Piantek? Oh, you got the little head in there. There you go. Sweet. See, I care. <laughs> yeah, I haven't worked out. I've heard it pronounced Piantek and Piantek as well, which doesn't seem to make sense because there's an A, but who knows? It's it's one of those people who've really come out of come out of nothing in the sense that he's 23 years old a year ago when presumably he was 22. He was playing in Poland. He did score 21 goals, um, but you know, it didn't really generate a tremendous amount of buzz. In fact, he only been capped once when he arrived in Italy, signed for Genoa for three and a half million uh, euros, and then just kept scoring and scoring and scoring. And he moved to Milan for 40 million in January, and he just keeps scoring and scoring again. He scored a, a goal that 
some have compared to Van Basten um, at, at the weekend against uh, against Atalanta. He's up to 17 on the season uh, in Serie A alone. I have unfortunately made a bet with a colleague where I said, there's no way this guy reaches 20 goals. He's going to regress to the mean. Mm. Doesn't look good for me. Now I will likely owe him a, a, a steak lunch. Uh, he really is very much an essential striker. He's the kind of guy you just don't see, doesn't seem to touch the ball. For, for long stretches and all of a sudden he appears and he finishes very well. He could be one of those guys, if he really is this good and he's kind of proving it every week, I think scouts across Europe, put it this way, if I owned a team, I'd call up all my international scouts and I would go and I would just, just paddle their buttocks for, for missing out on him. Same thing if I'm with the Polish FA, I'd be like, what? why did we not take a look at this guy earlier? I know we have Lewandowski and Milik, but come on now. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to our excellent guests, James Gearbrent and Alan Smith, who, of course, came to us uh, from uh, the Emerald Isle. And not just that, but but the other end, the, the bit with cork in it, where uh, I am told he was uh, he was out there trying out for uh, Cove Ramblers Sr. <laughs> of course, that was uh, who played, who's the most famous player ever to play for Cove Ramblers? Also, possibly the most famous person ever from Cork. Roy Keane. Roy Keane, there you go. <laughs> Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Thursday, looking ahead to the Carabao Cup final, Manchester City versus Chelsea. And in the Premier League, it's Manchester United against Liverpool. And yes, let me repeat this. I don't want to spoil the fun of podcasts and pretending things don't go on when they're when the uh, recording times are inconvenient. But Manchester United do play or did play, depending when you listen to this, against Chelsea in the FA Cup on Monday. Maybe we'll even uh, devote a word or two to that. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.